Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy! Good morning, Christ Fellowship family. How's everybody doing today? Okay, today we're going to continue going through the Bible. We did that last year, but this year the emphasis is God's sightings in each of the books. Now, the Bible isn't just the best-selling book of all time. It's not just a book. It is a compilation of 66 different books. So each week, we're going to take one of those books. And today, we begin with a new section of the Bible. It's called The Major Prophets. And we start with the book of Isaiah. And coincidentally, which is not coincidentally, it's God-incidentally, Isaiah has arranged 66 chapters in the book. And a lot of people call the gospel, uh, Isaiah the fifth gospel because it really is like a concise uh, gospel, even though it's in the Old Testament. So we see in this section that Isaiah points out that the Messiah is the Savior and the servant and the shepherd. And in this book, in the New Testament, we see it is quoted 65 times more than any other book, Old Testament book. And in this prophetic book, hundreds of prophecies have been fulfilled. And God arranged this book in such a way that when Isaiah wrote these prophecies, hundreds of years before they were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. So the first several chapters of the book is kind of giving us a setting. Now, you know, when you get a setting in a book, you kind of get the dates and the mood and what's happening in the story. But the setting of this particular book is not so good. I mean, on the outside, it looks like Judah is doing great. I mean, they have a port city. It's a a great uh, center of commerce. Their military is built up. Uh, They've developed a strong fortification. Um, There's walls around the cities, towers of protection. But they forgot God. And we see this, even the ruler, uh, the king himself, thought that he could take the role as a priest and present offerings before the Lord. And, of course, he was punished for that. For the rest of his life, he had leprosy, incurable consequence. But here, let's start in the, in the book of Isaiah, looking at chapter 2. And here we get the setting. Chapter 2, starting in verse 6. You, Lord, have abandoned your people 
the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the East. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasuries. Their land is full of horses. There's no end to their chariots. In other words, prosperity-wise, it looks pretty good. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. And here's the consequence. So people will be brought low, and everyone humbled do not forgive them. Later on in chapter 5, starting in verse 20, we see, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. So here we see Isaiah is painting the picture of what is happening in the nation, in Judah. And he condemned the empty ritualism of the day, the idolatry they were caught into, the pagan worship. And he foresaw and was warning the people for decades that Babylonian captivity is imminent if they didn't change their ways. He challenges through these beginning chapters for Israel to not just have a show. See, they were doing the right things, it seemed, but it was a facade. It was fake. And he's saying, don't just honor me with your lips. I want you to truly follow and honor me with your heart. You know, his desire throughout the years was for the people to turn, to to be convicted of their sin and to turn back to God away from wickedness. He really called them two-faced. I mean, did you ever know Christians who claim to be Christians, but their actions say different? You would say they're two-faced. Well, this is what Isaiah was saying. I see you're doing all these things. You're saying these things, but your actions are not showing that you're following God's way. Isaiah refers to them as deaf and dumb. They refuse to listen to his warnings. Year after year, he would warn them. He would warn them that their sin was going to bring judgment. And when judgment finally did come, later on in the book, We see they are led into captivity. What did they do? They tried to rely on their own strength, on the strength of their army, on the alliances they had with other nations. They still didn't turn to God. All their efforts fell short. They were relying on themselves, on the things that they acquired, rather than on God. And, And the failure was with their leaders. It was the kings and even the priests and the prophets that were misleading the people. They were corrupt. If the prophets and the rulers, the kings, if they had turned back to God, I truly believe that God would have relented, that God would have forgiven, and he would have intervened on their behalf, just like he did for us. But they persisted in their rebellion. 
their idolatry. And God, you know what he did? He actually invited the enemies. Okay, come on in. They set the stage for their own destruction. And let's read it. In chapter 56, beginning in verse 9, we see this description that Isaiah gives about the leadership in the nation. He said, come all you beasts of the field, come and devour all the beasts of the forest. In other words, he's inviting the enemies of Judah to come, have a feast. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They're all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They're dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They're shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Come, each one cries, let us get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today and even better. So when the nation's leaders don't acknowledge God, when they don't promote God, is doomed to anarchy, disorder, and eventual destruction. There's always a trickle-down effect from the leadership. Now, as we dive into this particular uh, chapter, verse by verse, let's look at this. There were watchmen. It says they were blind. What was a watchman? A watchman was assigned to go to the highest place, whether it was a tower or on top of a wall, and they would watch out for any invaders. And um, this keeps going out, in and out. You guys can hear me okay? Um, and the watchman would tell uh, the people if there was an impending attack, and they would prepare for it. There were also watchmen that were set, uh, uh, shepherds. Shepherds were watchmen, and they would watch over the sheep. They would take turns and rotate and make sure somebody was awake, somebody was watching out for predators, so the sheep were safe. But here, Isaiah was saying, the watchmen are blind. They weren't protecting. They weren't warning in Isaiah's time, and also in Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of another prophet during the same time period, he said this in Jeremiah 6.13, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Instead of warning the people and, and siding with uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah, they refused to acknowledge God's warnings. So a blind leader wasn't aware of the enemies that were lurking. And whether this is a pastor who isn't warning his sheep of false doctrine that might be creeping into the church, or a political leader that can't see past the next election. These are blind leaders that can cause a nation to crumble. So what else? It says, verse 10, the corrupt leaders are ignorant, lacking knowledge. Now, this has nothing to do with IQ. I'm sure there were a lot of them were very smart. 
but they neglected the heritage of the Lord. They rejected the past. They forsake God. They forget God. They reject his wisdom. And the people suffer. What else does it say? They were corrupt. They were mute like silent dogs. Now I have two dogs. When anybody dares to come up to my front steps, there's a cacophony of books. People know that it's not, they think that it's not safe to come into my house. If they have, they're up to no good. Dogs bark to warn. But here he's saying these leaders are silent dogs. They don't bark. They fail to warn people of sin. They compromise to the culture. Isaiah says God will judge the nation by himself becoming silent. What else does it say? It says corrupt leaders are slothful. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They enjoy the perks of leadership without the hard work. They're gluttonous dogs. They never have enough. They crave all the benefits that come with power while the common people suffer. Rather than caring for the sheep, these leaders of the day overindulged at the expense of the people. And in the process, they, they themselves became enslaved. It, it, it mentioned that they said, we'll do the same thing tomorrow. They are enslaved themselves. So during Isaiah's time, listen carefully. This is what was happening. Righteousness was mocked. Godlessness flourished. Lust was celebrated. Children became expendable. I mean, they actually sacrificed them in the fire to Moloch. Idolatry became normalized. Norms, rules, and laws became relative or fluid. Life no longer had meaning or purpose or value. And the result was a general mood of despair. Rampant Apostasy overtook the nation, and history can repeat itself. If I, as I read those things, couldn't they be headlines today? We don't throw our children in the fire, but we sure, over 65 million have been killed through abortion. We live in an era where the voice of the faithful few the believers, the God-fearing Christ followers have been drowned out by the wicked. And what's most troubling to me is fewer and fewer people hold to the biblical worldview. Now, we're going to show you what the biblical worldview is. These are non-negotiables. Believing that the absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is truly accurate in all the principles that it teaches. Satan is considered to be a real being, not just symbolic. A person cannot earn their way to heaven by trying to be good or doing good works. And Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Amen.
And yet a recent poll shows less than 20% of evangelical Christians hold to these truths. And how many of our 18 to 23-year-olds have been robbed from learning about God? God has been stripped from the public forum. He's been part of the cancel culture. He's been removed from education. That's why I homeschooled. He's been removed. I mean, nothing against you teachers. I, God bless you. You're, you're influencing. You're influencing. But it's an upstream battle. God's been stripped from the media, from government. Shadow banned. He's been shadow banned. And yet, this same age group, 18 to 23, they're hungry for God. They're hungry for purpose. And they need somebody to tell them. Just like Isaiah. Isaiah. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he said, send me. God needs people to be his voice. There needs to be a spiritual awakening on this nation. Or things can get worse, just like they happened in Isaiah's time. But in the midst, it's not all bad news in this beautiful book. In the midst of this prophetic book is the most beautiful chapter speaking about the Messiah, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as you study this chapter, if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 53. We're going to go through this pretty much verse by verse. Okay, if you have your Bibles, open them up. If you have your app, turn to Isaiah 53. And we are going to talk about this beautiful, hopeful chapter. This is a God sighting that many Jewish people, the veil has been removed. My husband being one of them. He's a Jewish man who realized this speaks about the Messiah. Written hundreds of years, verse 1 through 3, we're going to begin. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their eyes. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here Isaiah was foreseeing how he would be treated by his own people, how they, the Jewish people, would despise him and reject him. He came to save them, and, he, and they had an aversion to the crucified Messiah. Let's look at the next verse. Surely he took up our, verse, our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Isaiah was saying that the Messiah would bear the consequences of our sins, all our sorrows of life, and the Jews incredibly thought that he was being punished for the sins that he committed. Let's continue. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. 
and by his wounds we are healed. This verse is filled with substitution. He did it for us. Everybody say, he did it for me. Substitution. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed and bruised for our iniquities. It was for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a trade. Galatians, Paul writes later in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our God and Father. It was by his stripes that, he, that we are healed. The stripes that caused his death, the 49 lashes minus one. Have you ever seen the Passion of the Christ? That's a realistic rendering of what happened. Torn flesh, the suffering, 49 minus one. He died for you. Peter says it like this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. It's by his wounds that we are healed. Let's look at the next verse, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, none of us are farmers, but we understand that sheep are prone to wander. They lose their way. And the scripture says in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all wandered. But the suffering servant that's spoken of in this book shouldered the consequences of our sin. Okay, let's continue 7 and 8. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. See, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. The Messiah didn't utter any protest. He was totally submissive to those who punished him, to those who judged him. And he assumed the role of a sacrificial lamb. Amazing. The shepherd became the sheep. He became the lamb. Now, this verse 9 blows me away. How exact and precise it was, written hundreds of years before it happened. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Here, he was crucified between two criminals, destined for the common grave, but yet God provided an honorable burial through the 
tomb that was given and donated to him to be buried in through Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man who gave his own tomb up. The servant's innocent innocence is in First Peter, we see. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. Verse 10 and 11, we're almost done with this. Yet it was the Lord's will. It was his will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, that's us, and prolong his day. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will justify many. He will live again. He will bear the iniquities, and yet he will see life again because of the resurrection. It's all there in Isaiah 53. Let's finish the chapter. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's you and I. The word says that today he forever makes intercession at the right hand of the Father for you and I. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is the Messiah speaking. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners. I like the new living version. It says this, he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Do you know when Jesus preached his first sermon in the synagogue in his hometown, he opened the scroll of Isaiah and he read this very verse. And he said, today in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. The anointing of the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was able to do everything that Isaiah predicted and prophesied hundreds of years before. Jesus trusted the Holy Spirit to do his part in the plan. He laid himself on the plan of the Holy Spirit. How much more should we surrender to the Holy Spirit who abides in us? The Holy Spirit still has power to heal the sick, to comfort the brokenhearted, to bind up our wounds, the preaching of the good news to be anointed. He will still perform all those things today through us, through spirit-filled believers. In fact, he'll even resurrect you. And that's not just an extreme belief or an extreme doctrine. That's a clear promise in scripture. First Corinthians 15, 44 says when our bodies die, it is sown a natural body. 
but it is raised a spiritual body. That's resurrection. The same Holy Spirit, this is a God sighting for us, who rested then, rested on Christ, and now rests on you and enables you to do what Jesus did. Isaiah was called by God. In chapter 6, we see early on, he sees the Lord and he says, Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, the winged creatures, came with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth. He said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Remember, months ago we talked about sometimes the fire is represented and it represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fire touched him and forgave and cleansed him. And he was able to say this. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. Only after Isaiah was cleansed of a sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit, did he say, here I am, send me. Prior to that point, he saw himself as an unworthy servant, unworthy messenger. But once he was forgiven, immediately he desired to serve the Lord and become God's prophetic voice for generations to come. Since Adam and Eve's fall, humanity has lived in a lost state. And Jesus paid the price to redeem us. He willingly, willingly came to suffer and die as a lamb to the slaughter. He became the lamb to die for the sheep. And in this chapter 53, the foreshadowing of Christ, it describes how the suffering Messiah would endure all the pain to, in, to uh, pay for our sins. It talks about the sovereignty of God. It talks about how clearly God orchestrated every detail of the crucifixion to fulfill the prophecy in this chapter. Jesus was despised and rejected. He was sinless. He was God. But God laid on him all of our sins. And we became God's righteousness. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to take a look at a video. Pretty interesting, huh? So many analogies we can see in, that, in the natural with that sheep. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And we only have one shearer, one savior, one shepherd who could come and cleanse us. The grace of God. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul said the same thing. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no one else under heaven given to mankind that we can be saved. 
Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. No money? Buy? Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me. Listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Come, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Isaiah says this in chapter 44. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and blessings on your descendants. See, that's how the Holy Spirit works through us generationally. I mean, look behind you. There was spiritual heritage. Somebody told you about the Lord. And we have spiritual parents. And we should be spiritual parents with spiritual children as well as a generational thing. We need to be intentional about our place in the generations. Who knows how the Holy Spirit will use you like he used the prophet Isaiah to impact generations, to make every word count for the kingdom. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit falling Upon Jesus, he would never have been able to accomplish what he did. See, remember, he emptied himself. He became, uh, he, he emptied himself as, of his divine power. If we say that was Jesus, he did that, I can't do that, we're minimizing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, forever. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to perform miracles through Jesus and through every spirit-filled believer. Jesus depended on on the Holy Spirit. It says in in Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8, it says, In the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in likeness, In human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he's asking you today, here and those online and those who will be listening, to draw near to him with your hearts, not just your lips. So I'm asking you today, are you thirsty? Do you find yourself in a dry place? Do you rely on the construction of your own walls and fortifications and bank account and job and alliances with other people? Are you swayed away from God because of worldly opinions? God is not in the equation. The message of hope in Isaiah 53 is that we've all been lost sheep. Some of us have wandered all our lives. 
We've wandered from the path. Others have strayed. And the good shepherd is calling you back. Today he's saying, come. Buy with something that isn't going to cost you. It cost him. It cost him everything. You know, and you'll be under his protection. He'll clean up the dirt and the sticks and the rock and the debris that's accumulated in your wool of sin. He'll cleanse you. Like that, that lost sheep, he could barely feed himself. Six years he was wandering in the bush. The sin is weighing some of us down in the same way. Some of you are in that spiritual condition. You can't see it. But you feel the weight. And the good shepherd wants to shear you today. He wants you to come before him. And he will clean you up. If there's anybody here like that, as this music is playing, and as I continue to speak, please get out of your seat and come forward to the altar as a symbol of saying, yes, Lord, I do surrender all. I need to be cleaned up. And only you can do it. If that's you, don't be ashamed. Just come on up. Some of you are contemplating that, is life even worth it? Is it even worth walking this life? And I see a few people coming down. God bless you. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ, wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to set you free. He wants you to be released from captivity. Praise God. He'll do it for you. He'll heal your broken heart. He'll release you from darkness as you surrender to him. That sheep was weighted down so much that it was even dangerous for that sheep to be sheared. But he, they came to the right shearer. You're coming to the shepherd, the one, the only one who can do it for you. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to all lift up your hands as an act of surrender. Hallelujah. And repeat after me. Everyone here can repeat the same prayer. Jesus Christ, I see that you're my Messiah. You are the one who died for me. Everything I did was transferred onto you. And now I stand here asking to be cleansed, asking to be filled by your Holy Spirit, asking for forgiveness. And as, Lord, as you do that, as I surrender the rest of my life to you, I will be like Isaiah. I will say, here I am. Send me. If you mean that, say it again. Here I am. Send me. Everyone in this room, I want you to say it. Here I am. Send me. How will they know? How will they know unless they hear? You are the voice of the Lord. As the Holy Spirit fills you, go and be his voice. God bless you all. Amen and amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.